1: It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Wednesday, November 16th, and today we are catching up on FTX Contagion, as well as some interesting things from the macro world. Before we get into that, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a listen, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, Come join us on the Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash All right, guys, how is everyone doing out there? Now, I mentioned it yesterday, but I wanted to tell you again about the upcoming Grateful for Bitcoin series next week. I've started recording those interviews as of today, including one about Bitcoin gas flare mining today that I think you're really going to like. I also want to say welcome once again to Kraken as a partner for the Breakdown's Back to Basics theme throughout the rest of this year. Now today, I want to catch up on a few of the macro stories we've missed as we've been, very understandably, focused on the crypto industry. But unfortunately, first we do have to look at the latest contagion from FTX's collapse. Genesis Trading is one of the larger players in the institutional crypto space. They're one of the crown jewels in the digital currency group Empire, which should be noted also includes Coindesk. Their lending arm is called Genesis Global Capital, and at the end of the third quarter, it had $2.8 billion in total active loans. Now, Genesis has had a rough year. They suffered nine-figure losses, a few hundred million dollars, through their exposure to Three Arrows Capital and Babel Finance earlier this year. In June, Michael Morrow said, As we already stated on June 17th, we mitigated our losses with a large counterparty who failed to meet a margin call to us. We sold collateral, hedged our downside, and moved on. Our business continues to operate normally, and we are meeting all of our clients' needs. Now still, losing a few hundred million dollars is going to have some consequences, And in the wake of all this, CEO Michael Morrow stepped down. Perhaps unsurprisingly then, when FTX collapsed, one of the big questions was what exposure Genesis had. Initially, they said they only had something like $7 million of exposure, but then that was revised up to about $175 million in locked funds in its FTX trading account. Because of this, last week, DCG decided to strengthen their balance sheet with an equity infusion of $140 million. In spite of this, last night, rumors of solvency issues, or perhaps liquidity issues, started to make their way to Twitter. Satoshi Stacker wrote, breaking, there are rumors about Genesis trading being insolvent despite receiving an infusion of $140 million a few days ago. The parent company of Genesis is DCG, which is also the parent company of Grayscale. Grayscale is one of the largest holders of Bitcoin worth $11 billion. This morning it was revealed that the issue was not with Genesis trading, but with Genesis Capital. Frank Chaparro from The Block tweeted, Genesis just held a seven-minute call with clients to let them know withdrawal requests for Genesis Capital have exceeded their liquidity profile. CEO says he's working on a plan with advisors to fix their liquidity profile and serve clients. Amanda Cowie, Vice President of Communications and Marketing at DCG, released a statement that said, Today, Genesis Global Capital, Genesis's lending business, made the difficult decision to temporarily suspend redemptions and new loan originations. This decision was made in response to the extreme market dislocation and loss of industry confidence caused by the FTX implosion. This decision impacts the lending business at Genesis and does not affect Genesis's trading or custody businesses. Importantly, this decision has no impact on the business operations of DCG and our other wholly owned subsidiaries. Still, one of the fallouts from the Genesis Capital withdrawal shutdown is the Gemini Earn program. The team at Gemini released a statement this morning that says, we are aware that Genesis Global Capital, the lending partner of the EARN program, has paused withdrawals and will not be able to meet customer redemptions within the service level agreement of five business days. We're working with the Genesis team to help customers redeem their funds from the EARN program as quickly as possible. We will provide more information in the coming days. This past week has been an incredibly challenging and stressful time for our industry. We are disappointed that the EARN program SLA will not be met, but we are encouraged by Genesis and its parent company Digital Currency Group's commitment to doing everything in their power to fulfill their obligations to customers under the EARN program. We will continue to work with them on behalf of all EARN customers. This is our highest priority. We greatly appreciate your patience. Mike Dudas from Sixth Man Ventures said, To be clear, this isn't a hit to Gemini's deposit base, but it's a hit to the market value prop and trust surrounding the concept that customers can earn safe, reliable yield on their crypto via a regulated exchange. Not trying to FUD here, and I expect Gemini deposits are fine. End quote. Still, after everything that went down with FTX, what people want is details. Jason Choi wrote, "No exact figures and still having issues post DCG infusion are not confidence-inspiring." Bantig responded to Jason, saying, "Fully operational but temporarily halting origination and withdrawals. This seems like another way of saying insolvent." Jason responded, "I don't know. Just repeating exactly what was said. Could be a duration mismatch. Could be insolvency. If former, good. If latter, pray."
0: Want to keep more profits when trading? Get the best possible prices and trade with 50% lower fees on Nexo Pro. The new Spot and Futures trading platform uses aggregated liquidity of over 3,000 order books collected from multiple sources. Utilizing the complete Nexo suite allows you to earn interest and borrow funds as you wait for the next trade setup. Visit pro.nexo.io. That's pro.nexo.io and sign up today. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. As one of the largest, longest lasting and most secure exchanges, Kraken continues to set the industry example for transparency and trust. Twice yearly proof of reserves audits verify your assets are backed by real assets. Industry leading security keeps your funds and information safe. And award winning client engagement teams are available for support 24 seven. Buy crypto instantly with fast, flexible funding options on Kraken. Download the Kraken app on Google Play or the Apple App Store, or
1: visit kraken.com to join. Now, over the last couple of hours as I was working on the show, the situation with Gemini seemed to get worse. Numerous commentators noticed that it wasn't just earned, but the entire exchange that seemed to be down. There were outages across the web UI, the mobile app, the Earn program, the Exchange trading engine, numerous APIs, and more. However, according to the latest tweet from Gemini, it was all about AWS. Quote, We experienced an Amazon Web Services EBS outage with one of our primary databases. We have restored the database and are bringing the Exchange back up. Alex Kruger gives probably what's the simplest explanation, saying, Guessing Gemini withdrawal is not working at the moment because Gemini Earn got shut down due to Genesis Lending leading everyone to withdraw at the same time, equals website issues. Either way, please DYOR if you have your funds in Gemini. Now, obviously, we will continue to keep an eye on this, but in the meantime, it is probably a good time to withdraw your assets to self-custody if you haven't done so already. Now, with that, let's shift to some of those macro stories that I mentioned we haven't had a chance to cover. And to be clear, there's not necessarily a theme here, just the latest things that are important to note. Let's start with the CPI. One of the biggest pieces of news that got blown out of the water last week by SAM and FTX was the inflation print coming in at 7.7%, pretty significantly under what was expected. This was a major driver of the equities rally that led to the most significant divergence between Bitcoin and risk equities in the last few years. Unfortunately, the inflation data may not be as good as it seems. A quirk in the CPI data has been causing a lot of discussion among financial Twitter. Last month's inflation data showed a 4% reduction in health insurance costs but as a result of the annual adjustment from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. While the reduction in headline inflation to 7.7% was a welcome change of pace, some are questioning whether the data could really be viewed as a turning point for inflation if a significant portion of the reduction is attributed to this one-time adjustment. The change cut around eight basis points from core inflation, which held steady from the previous month and would have risen without this adjustment. Health insurance costs did not just suddenly collapse in October, leaving more questions about how real this peak in inflation will prove to be. Matt Fielder, a senior fellow at Brookings Institution, said, No, today's health insurance CPI reading does not mean that premiums fell 4% in October. In fact, it's not really about premiums at all. It mostly reflects events that are over one year old. Jason Furman points out that lags are actually going in both directions right now. The professor at Harvard said, Lags in shelter now lead the measure to overstate spot core inflation by about 20 basis points. Health insurance is the opposite as of October because CPI shifted from 2020 to 2021 utilization. This subtracts around 8 basis points for core inflation and will for 11 more months. Now, in spite of this, obviously, equities markets have been doing really well. And what we've seen over and over again is that whenever the markets get out ahead of where the Fed really thinks inflation is, they tend to send out speakers to tamp them back. On Monday, Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Wallace did, in fact, push back on markets, saying that they had responded far too strongly to one favorable CPI report. Quote, the markets seemed to get way, way out in front. I just cannot stress this is one data point. We've still got a ways to go. He noted that so far, rate hikes have not broken anything, and that to see significant slowdown, the Fed would need to see consecutive positive data points confirming that inflation was cooling off. That said, he did acknowledge that the Fed would be considering a smaller 50-basis point hike at their December meeting. Now, to the extent that the Fed was trying to have Waller be hawkish, later that day, Fed Vice Chair Lil Brainerd played the dove. She said, quote, I think it will probably be appropriate soon to move to a slower pace of rate increases. Now she hedged a little by saying, I think what's really important to emphasize is we've done a lot, but we have additional work to do on both raising rates and sustaining restraint to bring inflation down to 2% over time. With the dollar coming off its highs in the last week and equity markets staging a significant rally, questions remain about whether the Fed can maintain tight financial conditions as they begin to slow rate hikes. Brainerd said, quote, We have raised rates very rapidly, and we've been reducing the balance sheet. And you can see that in financial conditions. You can see that in inflation expectations, which are well anchored. Former Fed trader Joseph Wang said, What surprised me most about Brainerd's interview was that she seemed to be open to cuts next year. When asked point blank for potential cuts, she could have suggested higher for longer or no anticipation of cuts, but did not do so. Brent Johnson wrote, Is there any doubt regarding the ongoing battle for control of the narrative between Powell and Brainerd? Still, not everyone is convinced that we should be hopeful right now. Sergei Perfiliev, a former Goldman Sachs quant, said, Much hopium in the markets right now. If Fed pivots and starts easing before inflation is firmly lower, the risks of Fed's credibility are substantial, especially following their hesitation in 2021. It may not be the risk they're willing to take. They need to prove themselves. Urian Timmer, the director of Global Macro at Fidelity, said something similar. There was an instant reaction to the hopeful inflation report, he writes. But if financial conditions ease much further, it may well force the Fed to throw cold water on the rally. I expect any cautious optimism from the Fed to be tempered with ongoing hawkish talk. Now let's look at some specific sectors of the economy. A new study from the Dallas Federal Reserve found that the recent spike in mortgage rates could cause the U.S. property market to dump by 20%. The pessimistic scenario from the study had a drop of 15-20% to in house prices, which could reduce inflation-adjusted consumer spending by up to 0.7%. The research article, entitled Skimming U.S. Housing Froth a Delicate, Daunting Task, showed that a reduction in consumer spending this large could harm the Fed's ability to avoid a recession. The paper states such a negative wealth effect on aggregate demand would further restrain housing demand, deepening the price correction and setting in motion a negative feedback loop. The Fed has, of course, raised interest rates 3.75 percentage points this year, which has driven the average U.S. 30-year mortgage fixed interest rate above 7%. That's more than double the 3% seen at the end of last year. Mortgage debt service payments as a share of disposable income was forecast to reach 6% by the end of the third quarter this year, up from 3.9% the previous quarter. The Fed article said, quote, Achieving a soft economic landing, taming inflation and avoiding a recession as the Fed accomplished in 1994, cannot be taken for granted given that further monetary policy tightening can increase the household mortgage debt servicing burden and boost the odds of a severe house price correction. According to Charlie Bileo, the CEO of Compound Capital Advisors, this increase in mortgage rates and stubbornly high housing price means that the average down payment has increased by $25,000 in two years, while the average monthly payment on a newly issued loan has more than doubled. Nick Timorose from the Wall Street Journal pointed out just how much this is crushing the market. The average 30 year fixed mortgage rate, he writes, has been above 7% for the last three weeks, something that hasn't been seen since 2001. Applications for home purchase mortgages, meaning excluding refinances, are down 40% on the year, per the Mortgage Bankers Association. D.R. Horton, the largest U.S. home builder, reported net sales orders in July to September quarter fell 15% from a year earlier and by 10% in value. Canceled sales orders as a share of gross sales rose to 32% from 19% in the year earlier period. Redfin will lay off another 13% of its staff, bringing total staff reduction since April to 27%, and close its on-demand buying service Redfin now. One more big-picture power shift story on the macro side as we close this out. One of the big questions ever since the beginning of COVID, but especially over the last year, has been the reshoring of manufacturing of important silicon chips. Right now, a huge portion of the world supply of chips is built in the Taiwan Strait, and many in the American establishment don't think that that is viable in any sort of medium or long-term scenario. Well, this week we got news that Apple is planning to begin sourcing chips from a plant that is still under construction in Arizona from 2024 forward. The move will be a significant pivot away from reliance on a supply chain based in Asia. CEO Tim Cook disclosed the move in an internal meeting in Germany with local engineers and retail employees. Cook said, quote, We've already made a decision to be buying out of a plant in Arizona, and this plant in Arizona starts up in 24, so we've got about two and a half years ahead of us on that one, maybe a little less. The Arizona plant that is being referred to is likely the facility being set up by TSMC, the Taiwan based semiconductor manufacturing giant. This would be part of their diversification strategy, which seeks to set up more manufacturing capacity outside of Taiwan. More broadly speaking, the US government plan to onshore chip production has resulted in several manufacturers breaking ground on US facilities this year. At the moment, Taiwan currently produces 60% of the world's supply of chips. And Tim Cook again said, Regardless of what you may feel and think, 60% coming out of anywhere is probably not a strategic position. The diversification of the semiconductor supply chain has been a key strategic goal of policymakers in the U.S. and Europe over the last few years. Now, notably, this announcement from Apple does not represent the ability to source components entirely from the U.S. Planned facilities simply will not have the necessary production capacity or the technological capabilities to produce cutting-edge chips but it does, however, represent the first big move from the tech giant to move its supply chain away from Asia. One more time from Tim Cook, I think you will wind up seeing a significant investment in capability and capacity in both the United States and Europe to try to reorient the market share of where silicon is produced. So that is the view from here, guys. More crypto contagion working its way through the markets, big changes in how the world economy organizes itself, and all of us just sitting here desperately waiting for next week's Thanksgiving holiday. For now, I want to say thanks again to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.